This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. Good morning. It's great to see everyone out. It's good to be back in Wheeler with you guys. I always enjoy coming and spending time with you, and I'm thankful for the opportunity I have to come to to speak a portion of God's word with you this morning. This morning, we're going to look at a verse in John chapter 14, or a couple verses, John 14, 13 through 14. Now, over the last several months, kind of my study has kind of transitioned to this idea of there are several verses out there. There are many verses out there that, that people think they mean one thing, but they actually mean something different. And that's what we're, we're going to look at in both of our lessons today. And this morning, we're looking at this verse, John 14, verses 13 through 14. And it says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So again, this is a verse that in the religious world, it's very popular. And we can see why. If you pull this verse out of its context... And you just read that verse, it seems like a a promise that if you're willing to ask God for anything in his name, and you have enough faith in that process, that he's going to grant that to you. And a lot of people are taught that, a lot of people teach this, that if you have enough faith, no matter what you ask, you you will have that. So I think of these examples. I think of maybe I'm looking for that high paying job. That job, that dream job that I've always wanted. If I'm willing to pray to God in his name and I have enough faith, I'm going to get that job. What about my health? Maybe I have an issue with my health. And somebody says, you know, John 14, 13 through 14 says, if you pray in his name, you can have healing. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's new friends. Whatever that may be. A lot of times this verse is pulled out of its context and it becomes this verse that essentially makes God into this genie in a lamp. That if you rub that lamp and you say the right things, you're going to get whatever you ask for. That phrase in Jesus' name has become this magical phrase that will grant me the, the desires of my heart. But is that really what this verse says? And that's what we want to look at this morning. But I want us to understand that this verse used in that way is very dangerous. It can be detrimental, especially to a new Christian. Maybe they've been taught that I can go to God in his name and he's going to give me what I want. Maybe you have somebody that is sick and they go to God in prayer and all these other people are praying in in the name of Jesus. What happens when the healing doesn't come? What happens when they don't get that new job? How many people have walked away from the church because they believed that Jesus lied to them in that verse? The misinterpretation of that verse can be extremely dangerous. But I believe that before even looking at the context, I I believe we can look at a couple of examples and see that this is not the intended use of John chapter 14, verses 13 through 14. And the first one I want to look at is Paul. 
Now, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is talking here and he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So Paul here is saying that essentially to keep me from getting this big head because of all the things that are happening, I was given this thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. We don't need to know what that was. All we need to know is that it was an issue for him and it was hard for him to deal with and he didn't want to deal with it anymore. And we see in verse 8, he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. So he says, I went to God three times to take that thorn in the flesh away from me. And what we see in the very next verse was the answer that he got. It says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The answer was, you're going to deal with the thorn in the flesh. Why? Because people see that weakness in you, and they see me working through you. See, it wasn't about Paul's will. It was about God's will. Now, I'm going to venture out to say that there are not many, many people that we can read about in the Scripture that had more faith in Jesus Christ than Paul himself. But he didn't get what he asked for. I think we can take that a little further and we can go to Jesus himself. As Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to be taken, about to be arrested, about to be put on the cross... He says this prayer, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, and he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Jesus did not want to go through what he was about to go through. And if you keep reading, you find out three times he prayed that prayer, saying, I don't want to go through this. If there's any way that I don't have to go through this, please don't make me go through this. Three times he made that he he prayed that, made that request to God. But we know exactly what happened. This idea that if we go to God in his name and he is going to grant us whatever we ask doesn't work. And we can see that from these examples that we've talked about this morning. But I think when we look at John chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, and we go go back and we look at the context before and after that verse, we can find some great lessons for us and find that the benefit of what that verse is talking about is far more important than any worldly blessing that we can pray for in this life. So this morning, I want to go ahead and I want to look at that. And I think to really understand what we're talking about here and what Jesus is talking about, we need to go all the way back to verse 1 of John chapter 14. And what we see is the apostles are with Jesus after the Lord's Supper has taken place. Judas has already left. The plan has been set in motion. And the 11 apostles are left with him. And Jesus sees this as one last opportunity to talk to those who he's closest to in this life about what's about to happen and about what they're about to go through. Jesus knew exactly the pain and suffering that he was about to deal with. But he also understood the pain 
that his absence would cause those 11 men in there with him at that time. And he's taking this opportunity, we see in these first four verses, that he's offering comfort to them. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know. I, I go, ye know. And the way, ye know. So again, Jesus wants to reassure them that while God is God, and while they know God and they know the power of God, they need to understand who he truly is. They need to understand that he is the son of God, that he is God on earth. He wants them to know that while he's leaving them, he's about to die, he is not abandoning them. Instead, he's going to prepare a place for them that they can be reunited at some point. But the fact is, is we see down here, he says, you know the way. And really for the last three years, Jesus has been preparing these men for this very moment. Getting them ready for this to take place. Preparing them for the transition and showing them the way all along. They've been prepared, but you know, they don't understand it. They don't get it. And we see that from what Thomas says in the very next verse. Thomas says, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto, them, unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. So Thomas says, we don't. You say you know where, we're, where, I'm go, where, I'm, where you're going, but we have no clue. We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way to get to you. And Jesus responds by saying, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He says, no one comes to God but through me. That was Jesus' response. He speaks to his authority by saying the only way to God is through him, through Jesus Christ. He then lets them know that if they have seen him, if they have seen Jesus, they know the Father. He and the Father are one. And again, Jesus is just reiterating the fact that he is God on earth. Get it through your head. Understand this. They still don't get it. And we see that from Philip's statement in the very next verse. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, have I been so long, so long time with you, and ye hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for ever, for the very work's sake. So, again, they're still confused. They don't understand it. They don't understand the idea of what that kingdom that's about to be established actually means. They're still confused. And if you don't believe it, they're still confused after this. Because what happens when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? And they come and they arrest him. Well, Peter pulls out his sword. He cuts off the ear of Malchus. And what does Jesus do? He reattaches the ear. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. 
Basically, if, if my kingdom were of this, well, we'd fight for it. But it's not. It's a spiritual kingdom. But they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Philip didn't understand it. But Jesus wants him to understand that he is God on earth. He is the Son of God. Now, when we get to verse 10 and 11, I found something that was pretty interesting about this. He keeps using this word works. We see it in verse 10. He says, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. This, word, this idea, of this word works keeps coming up. What he's talking about here are the miracles. The miracles that he has been performing. And he goes on in verse 11, he says, believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. He's saying, you have seen what I've been able to do. You've seen actually what the Father has done through me. You've seen those things happen. You've seen the, the deaf are able to hear. The, the blind are able to see. Men have been raised from the dead. You've seen these things. Believe in that. Understand that. Know who I truly am. Know that I am the Son of God. Know that I am God on earth. And as we go into verse 12, I think this is pivotal in understanding the verses that we're talking about this morning. Verses 13 and 14. In verse 12, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. What's he talking about there? Who is he talking? He that believeth on me. Well, he's just told him in the previous verse, You don't really believe. You don't understand. You don't get it. And now he's saying, When you do believe in me, you're going to do these works also. You're going to perform those miracles. And we think about why Jesus performed those miracles. Why? To confirm that he was the son of God. Why would the apostles need to perform these miracles? To confirm that Jesus was the son of God. To help them understand that. To help them spread the gospel. Because remember, Jesus would not be with them physically anymore. They had a job to do. He goes on. In the very last part of that verse, and he says, And the greater works than these shall ye do, because I go unto my Father. And I thought this was interesting. I didn't understand it, and I had to think about this a long time, because I'm thinking, why would the apostles do greater things than Jesus? What's this talking about here? He's not talking about just the fact that they're going to perform miracles. He's talking about something that's more important. And the fact that Jesus was about to die, was about to be buried and be resurrected, was going to provide such a power to the job that they had ahead of them. It would be the backing for that job that was about to come to them. The greater works was the idea that they were there to help establish the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That spiritual kingdom that he's been talking about and teaching them about. That's what it's about. They would be winning hearts through the gospel for both Jew and Gentile alike. That is the greater work that he's talking about here in verse 12. He says, you're going to do that greater work. And now that we're back to where we started, verse 13, we understand the context. He says, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. First of all, 
knowing the context, we understand that this verse was not written to Noah Hall in 2023. It was not written to me. Does that mean I can't learn from it? I can still learn from it. But this was a specific message written to 11 specific men who had a job to do. That's what this is about. How were they going to do that job? They couldn't do it on their own. Well, they were backed by Jesus Christ. We talked about that in verse 12. They were backed by the sacrifice. And because of that, they would be able to speak the word of God boldly. They would be able to perform those miracles to confirm that he was the son of God. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he says when they ask in his name, he will do it. Why? Because that's his will. They would be doing his will. They would be doing the job of spreading the gospel and building that kingdom up through Jesus Christ. And through the Holy Spirit, that would be given them, that that ability would be given them. Those miraculous abilities would be given to them. And we see that in verse 15. In verse 15, he begins out, he begins and he, Again, he knows the struggle that it was going to be for them. And we, we understand, if you read what happens to these apostles after Jesus goes to his death, we see what happens to these apostles. But he wants to reassure them. He says, if you love me, you're going to do what I ask you to do. And he says that, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to do what I ask. You're going to follow my will. And a big part of that was going to be to establish the kingdom. Establish that spiritual kingdom that all along they're thinking is a worldly kingdom. Their job is to establish that spiritual kingdom. And in verse 16 through 17, he says, And I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be, shall be with you. Who's this other comforter? It's the Holy Spirit. It's, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit that will reveal the word of God to them. That will allow them to perform these miracles and be able to confirm that he is the son of God. So they can establish that kingdom. He says, but ye know him for he dwelleth with you. And shall be in you. Again, this is just confirmation that while Jesus wasn't going to be walking the earth with them anymore, he would no longer be with them physically, he would still be with them. He would still back up what they had to do. And we see this idea further explained in this verse. In verse 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live. Ye shall, shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Again, Jesus comforts him by saying that he is not going to leave them If you look at the ESV, it it calls him, he will not leave them as orphans. He's not going to leave them destitute. He was going to help them every step of the way. And while the world would no longer see him physically by obeying the gospel, they would continue to experience Jesus Christ personally. 
he would live within them. You see, John 14 has absolutely nothing to do with me getting what I want. Nothing to do with me getting what I want. Instead, it's about me getting what I needed through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. That's what it's about. And it has so much more meaning when you understand that. You know, what I find so interesting about John 14 is I believe we see the beginning of this play out in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, we know the 11 apostles are together together. Matthias is, is called to be an apostle also. And we pick up in chapter 2, and it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, speaking of the apostles, were all with one accord in one place. They were all together. He says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with, the, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The apostles, think about what happened here. These apostles in John 14 didn't get it. They didn't understand it. But when they experienced, what they experienced after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you better believe that they believed in Jesus Christ. And they knew exactly who he was. They believed. John 14, it says, if you believe, those who believe, these men believed. And we see that exactly what he talked about is happening here. You had a gathering of thousands of Jews that had gathered together who all spoke these different languages. And what we see is that Peter was able to get up and speak. And every single one of them, no matter what language they spoke, was able to understand what he was saying. And what did he do? He talked about himself? No, he talked about Jesus Christ. He spoke about Jesus Christ. He spoke about the death, burial, and resurrection. He taught to them Jesus Christ. All in attendance were able to understand that. And we see what happened because of that if you skip down to verse 37. He says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The result of what he was talking about in John chapter 14 was happening. This was the greater work. 3,000 people obeyed the gospel that day. The kingdom was established. And the rest is history. Goes on, he says, for the promises unto you and your children and all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they, were, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. The kingdom was established. And ever since that point, it has been growing This was all about the greater work. But yet we look at John chapter 14 verses 13 through 14 and we forget all about the context because we want to make it about ourselves. Because that's who we are. That's the country we live in. It's all about ourselves, about making us feel good, about being the best that we can be, about following our own heart. 
So that is a very appetizing verse to us when we pull it out of context because it's going to give me whatever I want. It's not about what Jesus can do for me. But that's what we make it. It should be what can I do for Jesus? What can I do for the kingdom? When we look at these two verses in their true context, we see, again, that it's not written to us. We can learn from it. We can gain from it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as we move on. But it wasn't written to me directly. Again, does that mean I can't gain from it? Absolutely not. We can gain a lot from it. And this morning, I want to look at a few things that we can learn from this process about the requests that we make to God in our everyday lives. Because I think that's an important part of a Christian life, is that we speak to God, that we pray to God. And in those prayers, we make certain requests. But I want to think about those requests for just a minute this morning. You know, when we look at what Jesus tells the apostles here, there's really two qualifiers that he talks about. When, we make, when, when he says make a request to God, there's really those two qualifiers that he talks about. And the first is that we must ask in his name. It says, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. Have you ever thought about our prayers? You know, when I was pretty small, there was, I was probably 11 or 12. I hadn't been baptized very long. And I, got to, I was asked to, to lead my first public prayer in front of the assembly. And I was nervous. If you've been to Amarillo at all, where I'm from, you know that I can say some really dumb stuff when I'm up here, especially during announcements and sometimes during prayers. I have a hard time. I was 11 or 12, and I was ready for it. And I get through the prayer, and I'm thinking, man, I did pretty good. That was was pretty awesome. I'm feeling pretty good about myself, and I'm walking to the back, and there's a brother. Some of you may know him. His name was Carol Hayes. And he pulls me to the side, and he said, I'm, I'm expecting him to say, hey, good job. He says, I got a problem with your prayer. I said, what in the world? I, it was great. He says, you didn't pray in the name of Jesus. And up to that point, I just kind of thought it was something everybody said. It's just the way we prayed. Why are those words so important you know, it's not just about me saying those words at the end of the prayer because that's what I'm supposed to do. It means more than that. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Not because I say these words, all of my desires are going to be granted to me. That's not what it's about. It's about the fact that when we pray to God, we pray by the authority of Jesus Christ. That's why we say that. That's why we talk about that, because Christ was willing to die on the cross for our sins, because we can have our sins forgiven, and we can have a conversation with God through our intercessor, Jesus Christ. That's why we pray in the name of God. That's why we say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayer. By his authority, we can speak to God in faith because of his willingness to die on the cross for us. And that's what gives our prayer power, not because we're saying some word, but because our prayer is backed by Jesus Christ. But you know, that's not the only qualifier he talks about. He also says that the Father may be glorified. And again, I think this is where we get in a lot of trouble. 
when we become a Christian, our whole duty is to glorify God. Our lives should be a life that's dedicated to living a life according to the will of God and living a life that's pleasing in his sight. That's our job. That's what we're called to do when we become a Christian. So how do we glorify God in our lives in general? We glorify God by doing what he said in John chapter 14 when he talked about, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's how we glorify God. But how do we glorify God when we go to him in prayer, when we make a request of him? It's all about where our will is. How is our will aligned? Most of the time when we go to God in prayer, a lot of the times we want to pray for what we want or what we desire or what we think. We're really serving our own will in that case. We need to find out God's will. We need to get in the word of God. We need to see what he wants for our lives and align our will with his. And when our will is aligned with his will, we're going to pray for things that will benefit the kingdom, that will benefit other people, that will benefit the church. It's all about where our will is. And too many times, especially in the country that we live in, again, it's follow your heart. It's all about you. It can't be about us. It has to be about God. And that's what he's saying. When these apostles were willing to pray according to his will and seek those things according, when they truly had that belief and they understood the job, he was going to help them. He was going to provide those things for him. It wasn't about them getting a new car or a new job or any of that stuff. It was about growing the kingdom of God. That's what it was all about. Does that mean that I can't approach God about the things that I care about? Absolutely not. God wants to hear our thoughts. He wants to hear our desires. He wants to know those things. Here's what's different. What it does mean is that no matter what I pray for, no matter what that request is, I go in with the understanding that if it's answered with a yes or answered with a no, I know that whatever that answer was, it was according to his will. Think about Paul. Think about Jesus. They prayed for some things. They had some requests. When they didn't get it, they understood it. That wasn't the will of God. It wasn't the will of God to take that thorn of the flesh away from Paul. It was the will of God that he worked through that to show the Christ's power through him. So we need to understand that, that we need to align our will with the will of God. And I think as we better understand the context of what he's saying in John chapter 14, we can also understand how we can approach God about things that we're seeking, about those requests. And I think there's three important questions that we need to consider when we make a request to God. And the first one is, will this glorify God? Whatever I'm requesting, is this going to glorify God? Have I aligned my will with his? And that's, that's a big question. It's something that's hard for us to stomach sometimes. But we need to understand that, again, it's not about us. When we become a Christian, we are no longer our own. We belong to Jesus Christ. And therefore, our actions change. The way we live changes. The way we pray changes. Everything changes. Well, what I'm doing glorify God 
The second is, what is the motivation in my asking this request? What's truly motivating me? What's truly pushing me to make this request? You know, I think we, as we better understand that context, we understand that motivation matters. Is it about me or is it about God? Is it about me or is it about the kingdom? What's my motivation? What's pushing me? Why am I asking this? What is my request? You know, I'm pretty sure if I go to God and I say, give me this new Lamborghini. That's not to benefit the kingdom of God. There's, there's no way that's to benefit the kingdom of God. What am I going to do? Put a sign for the church on the side of it and hope people come? It's not, that was not the motivation in that prayer. The motivation is that I would have a cool car and I get to drive it fast. But when I go to God in prayer and I pray for the healing of my brother or sister in Christ, there's some proper motivation in that because we understand the power that they can have in their own community. The power in spreading the word of God. Does that mean that that person is going to be healed? Absolutely not, it doesn't. But still, my motivation is in the right place. And that's, that's the point I'm trying to make there. In James chapter 4 and verse 3, we see this address. He says, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. And this is the majority of times when our motivation is wrong. It's because of something we're lusting for. It's a desire of our heart that comes from our worldly mind when we haven't aligned our will with God and his will. We ask for things that are not according to his will. He says, you, re- you don't receive those things. Why? Because you're asking to consume it on your lust. Basically, to fulfill your own desires. It's taking God out of the equation. Again, God's becoming that genie in our life that we expect to grant every desire that we have. So it's important that we understand that. The third thing is, am I asking in humility? Am I humble enough to put the will of God before my own? You know, pride is something that we all deal with, and it's hard for us to overcome sometimes. But it also can be one of the most detrimental sins in, in our life if we let it get out of hand. In 1 John 5, verse 14, he says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask according to his will, he heareth us. Humility is understanding that I can't do it without God. Humility is understanding that there's something far more important in this world than me. And understanding that the best way to accomplish anything is accomplish, accomplishing it according to God's will. That's what it's all about. You know, no matter what I've studied in the last couple of years, really, I come to the same conclusion Every single study I come to this, and I'm sure in Amarillo they're tired of hearing me say this because I say it all the time. Every study comes back to this idea that it's not about me. And that's hard, again, it's hard to stomach sometimes because our society tells us it should be about us, that we need to look out for ourselves, but it always comes back to it's not about me. 
Think of John chapter 14, 13 through 14. When we pull that out of context, what does it become? It comes about, it becomes about me and what I want and what I desire. But really, when you look at John 14 as a whole, the overall context is not just about prayer. It's part of it. The overall context of, of John 14 is not about prayer. It's about how we live every day of our lives and what motivates us and what pushes us and what causes us to do what we do. That's what it's about. And when we actually put those verses in the context, we understand that the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he was buried and he was resurrected so that the greater work could continue. The greater work could, could happen. That kingdom could be established. When we understand that, we understand the value of that is far more valuable than us getting what we want in this life. Far more valuable. And that's what he's telling the apostles to go out and preach the gospel. Go out and tell people about the kingdom. Go tell them about Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for your sins and that he shed his blood for you, that you can be forgiven of those sins, you could be a part of that kingdom. That was their job. And that's what he's encouraging, encouraging them to do in that whole chapter of John chapter 14. And anyone here this morning who has obeyed the gospel has benefited from that. We've all benefited from it, from that greater work, from the establishment of that kingdom, for the forgiveness of our own sins. And, you know, we started out talking about Jesus a little bit, and I want to close with Jesus and I'm going to reread this. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, it says, And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto them, Peter, what, could you not watch for me with, one, with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And then he went and he prayed that same thing one more time. He didn't want to go through it. He knew what was coming. He understood the pain and humility that would, he would go through in just a matter of time. He could have easily said no could have walked away but the fact is is he endured it and make no mistake he felt every time that whip slashed through his back he felt every insult that was hurled at him he felt every time they hammered that nail through his hands and feet he felt every labored breath as he hung on the cross. Why did he do that? Because he loved us. Because we needed it. Because we couldn't do it without him. He understood the greater work. He knew that without that sacrifice, we have no hope. But with that sacrifice, we have all the hope we'll ever need. And that's what it's all about. 
And if you're here this morning and you've never obeyed that gospel, that invitation is waiting for you today. Waiting for you to, to obey the gospel, become a part of that greater work, become a part of that kingdom that's so freely offered to us. If you're here this morning and maybe you've walked away, maybe you've turned your back, or maybe you're just struggling and you need the prayers of the church, that's our job. We're here to pray for you. We're here to pray with you. We're here to support you through that. We can help you in that if you come to the front as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com. Or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.